verses 1 through 6. I'm going to read them, and then we're going to review 1 through 5, and then we're going to focus on this kind of difficult verse in, in Matthew 7, 6, okay? Judge not, oh yeah, if you'd like to stand, if you, if you would like this service, we often stand when we read the Word of God. If you don't want to stand, that's fine, but if you do, uh, this is, would be the appropriate time. Beginning in verse 1, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Father, we ask for your wisdom. We ask, Father, for the Holy Spirit's guidance. Uh, Father, you're everything that we need. God, what, what we need most here today is for you to reveal more of yourself, to show us your glory, to show us your person, to show us your character. Father, we need you to give us wisdom because you are wisdom. And Father, we ask that you would enable us to be effective at sharing the pearls of the gospel with the world. Father, put us on that mission. Make us effective. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. Okay, what, what I would like to start out by doing is by summarizing in four statements. Let's do, we'll do four statements. What I believe, verses one through five, mean, okay? So when Jesus is, is saying, judge not, lest you be judged, I think what he's condemning here, what he's warning us against, is, is the kind of self-righteous, hypocritical condemnation that sees everybody else's sin, but doesn't see our own, okay? So, so Jesus is condemning here, Jesus is warning us against, pointing out the tiniest transgressions in other people while completely ignoring your own enormous pile of sin, okay? So, so that is definitely what Jesus is talking about. Now, I would add to that that I believe Jesus is describing uh, or warning against or, or condemning judging others with a more strict standard than you use with yourself. So you'll notice the, the, the verse in here where he says, with the measure that you use, it'll be measured to you. In other words, there are people that, and this is our sinful tendency, by the way, that this shows you our brokenness is that we're so prone to this is that there are people that will judge other people more strictly than they judge themselves. They'll point out anger in other people while blowing up and, and, and never thinking about it in their self. Okay? Or they'll, they'll point out a, a huge sin that they don't have while ignoring all the other sins that they do have. Right, So Jesus is warning us against that kind of judgment. I would add, just by pulling in the rest of the New Testament, that Jesus is warning us against judging people based on our own convictions and not the Scripture. Okay, Now where I'm getting that is Romans 14. Uh, I actually walked through that with a guy this week, and it's just a super helpful passage uh, clarifying you know, when should, when, what, should, what should be our standard of judgment. Okay? So for instance, if you have a strong conviction that gray pants are more holy than other pants, I applaud you in that conviction, okay? And, and I support you in that, and I want you to go out and buy gray pants, man. Invest in the gray pant company, and that's really awesome, and you can have that strong conviction. You know, the Bible tells us we should have strong convictions. We should read the Word of God, we should pray, and we should make convictions about life. Uh, and much of life is not clearly 
described in Scripture, right? So we all have convictions about what we wear, what we watch, where we go, all that sort of stuff. And so if you have this strong conviction about gray pants being more holy than other pants, that is perfectly fine, and you should follow it. But when someone comes to church with red pants, you should not condemn them. You should not look at them with disdain. You should not judge them. You should not see them as less holy than yourself because you have gray pants, all right? So, so the Bible is really clear about our standard is the Scripture. Where there is no clear scriptural instruction, we should develop convictions, but we should not force those convictions on other people, all right? Finally, I believe that Jesus is condemning fault-finding in others in order to exalt ourselves, all right? This is one of the reasons why many people are judgmental. We are judgmental often because if we can condemn somebody else, if we can tear down somebody else, if we can show where somebody else is less than, then we can almost exalt ourselves. That's the feeling in a lot of people. That is sinful, all right? So Jesus is condemning, he's warning us against this type of judgment, all right? That's, I believe, what he's teaching. Now, What does our culture do with this passage? Well, our culture does what it so often does, which is super wrong, is it takes a little bitty portion of the Scripture. All right? So, so often, if, if, if you've got a guy that knows nothing about the Bible, he knows two words in the Bible. He knows that Jesus said, judge not, right? And he takes that and then presses it to the furthest possible measure. This is rampant in our culture, right? People take what Jesus said here, judge not lest you be judged, and, and, and they use it to, to try to assert that it is wrong to look at anybody's life and say that something is sin. And even more so, it is wrong to not only say that somebody's life is sin, but to confront them about that sin, calling them to repent. All right? Now, that is not what Jesus is teaching. That is a misinterpretation of this text. Now, how do I know that Jesus was not saying that we shouldn't have an opinion about anybody else's life and we certainly shouldn't call them to repent? You know how I know he wasn't saying that? The entire rest of the Bible, okay? So everywhere in the scriptures would would speak against that interpretation of Matthew 7, 1. Let me give you a couple clear examples, all right? So if we kept reading in chapter 7, we'd hit verse 15. So just a few verses after what Jesus just told us here. And he says in verse 15, Beware false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Every healthy tree bears good fruit. Every diseased tree, tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit. A diseased tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Now, it is inconceivable that Jesus would say, judge not lest you be judged, and that he would mean by that, hey, don't look at anybody else's sin. And don't, don't call them to repent. And then several verses later say, hey, make sure you check out people's fruit, especially those that are teaching you, and make sure it's consistent with, with the teaching of the Scripture, right? So obviously he doesn't mean that. Let's go further. In Matthew 18, you, know, you might say, well, that's just teachers. We can judge you, pastor, but not each other, okay? Well, Matthew 18, Matthew 18, he, he's talking about brother against brother. He's talking about when there's a sin against one brother sins against another. And he says in verse 15, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Okay, now we need to read the rest of it if we're going to get in the context, but we don't have time for that. But do you see what I'm saying? I mean, Jesus is clear. If your brother sins against you, then you need to go confront that. You go and tell him his fault with the purpose of reconciling. That's, that's the purpose behind that. Let me show you something outside the Gospels. You're like, well, maybe it's just the Gospels. No, it's not just the Gospels. It's the whole Bible. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, this is an interesting one, by the way. Now, I'll read, you, I'll read you 4 and then I'll read you 5, okay? So in 1 Corinthians 4, Paul says, he says, Do not pronounce judgment before the time. 
before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of heart, then each one will receive his com- com- commendation from God. And, and so in, in 1 Corinthians 4, Paul warns us about judging people's motives, about the, the hidden stuff of their heart. You know, so often that's where judgment comes in is people are like, well, I know what they really meant. No, you don't, okay? Quit. I know you took the mind reading uh, course online. It did not work. You cannot read minds, okay? And you don't know people's heart. Wives are the worst at this, by the way. You know, I mean, they're always, hey, I know what you're. No, you didn't, man. There's nothing else going on in here. You know, our, our brains are not like yours. There, there's one thing, and we probably said it, and it was dumb, and it was wrong. But there's nothing else going on, right? Like, like there's anyway. You can't read motives. You can't read hearts. All right. And so Paul condemns that. And he says, be careful about judging people's motives. But then look what he does in the next chapter. In chapter 5, verse 3, he says, For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. Paul says, I'm not even at Corinth. I'm not even in the same town. And I've already judged this guy that they're talking about in 1 Corinthians 5. Now, was that wrong? Because Jesus said, judge not lest you be judged. No, it wasn't wrong. You know why it wasn't wrong? Because the guy was scripturally in the wrong, okay? He was having a sexually immoral relationship with his stepmother. And Paul says, look, everybody knows that's wrong. It is scripturally wrong. It is biblically wrong. Paul's not giving his opinion. Paul's not condemning. He's not fault-finding. He's saying the way that this guy is living is wrong, and we must do something to bring him back for the good of his own soul. All right, so, so Jesus obviously did not mean in Matthew chapter 7 that we should not have an opinion about anybody's life or that we should, not, we should not call people to repentance. He did not mean that. Now, here's how we really know that he did not mean that. In verse 5, notice what he says. In verse 5, he gives us clear instructions. He says, you hypocrite, first. All right, so he's given us instruction here. First, he says, take the log out of your own eye. All right? So, so Jesus' whole purpose in teaching us uh, about judgment is to bring us to the application. And the application is, step number one, get the log out of your own eye. Step number one, deal with your own sin. Deal with your own sin. So in other words, you are no good to anybody else, and you should not confront anybody else. You actually shouldn't even make a judgment about anybody else until you have, step number one, dealt with your own sin. Deal with your own pride. Deal with your own anger. Deal with your own lust. Deal with your own greed. Deal with your own, own whatever. But, but confess, repent, get, the, get in the word of God, apply it to your life, and, and deal with your own sin. And then step number two, okay, this is right out of Jesus' words. Verse five, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye. And then he says, you will see clearly to take the speck out of your own eye. The second step is help your brother get the sin out of his life. So it's obvious that Jesus wasn't saying by judge not that we have nothing to do with anybody else's sin. No, what he, what he was saying is get yourself in the right spiritual condition that you are able to help your brother. You see, when you deal with your own sin first, you know what's going to happen? You're going to be humble. If you have actually been broken over your own heap of sin, if you've actually faced it and repented of it, you will not be arrogant toward anybody else. You, you will not have this condemning spirit. You will not come in there guns blazing. You know why? Because you've dealt with your own sin and you know the blackness of your own heart and you know the redemption of Jesus Christ over your own soul. And so you'll come in humble. You'll come in gentle. 
You'll come in doing just what Jesus says here. The picture is eye surgery, isn't it? He said, get, getting a speck out of Man, you, when you get the speck out of somebody's eye, you're careful. And, and so Jesus says, number one, deal with your own sin. Then number two, then you're fit to help someone deal with their sin. You see, I think the reason the culture does not want that to happen is a couple things. One of them is this distorted picture of love, okay? Our, our, our culture right now says love is this. Love is I affirm whatever you're doing, whoever you are, whoever you want to be, whatever you want to do, even if it's to your own destruction. That is not love. Listen, if you have a doctor and, and that guy supposedly cares about you so much that he won't tell you you have cancer because he doesn't want to upset you, you need to get another doctor. You really do. I mean, if, if that's what you've got is, is, is a guy that says, hey, I know it's going to upset you, so I'm not going to tell you that you're going to die. Get another doctor. So, so that's not love. And so Jesus is describing what is love, and that's caring about people enough to, after we've dealt with our own sin, to be able to help people come to the gospel, come to the word of God in their own life. Now, so that's the context, all right? That's what Pastor Daniel walked through with you. Now, what is verse six about, okay? Well, first of all, let, let's think about this. What, 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 what is this picture about, okay? First of all, Jesus is not calling people names here. He's not saying, man, these guys are so bad, they're dogs and pigs. He's not, he's not doing that. He is telling a story. You know what Jesus did all through the Gospels, right? He would tell these parables, he's telling these stories. And so he's given this metaphor, this image, this word picture. And in this word picture, you, you've got someone giving what is holy and giving pearls, okay? So what is he talking about? Let's, let's identify the images here. What's holy and what's pearls, okay? What he's talking about is the word of God, okay? How do we know that? A couple reasons. Context, okay? When Jesus, he, he just said, he just said, deal with your own sin, right? So that you're fit to help your brother get the speck out of, you, out of his eye. How do you help your brother get the speck out of his eye? Not with your opinions, okay? Not with what you learned on Dr. Phil and Oprah, okay? That's not, that's not how you do that. We know that. How do we, how, do we, how do we help people? We help people with truth, right? That's how I want you to help me. If I'm in sin, I, listen, I don't want you to come over and, you know, do yoga with me or whatever or, you know, um, put me on a CrossFit routine or, you know, I, I, I don't want that. If I'm in sin and, and, and I need to be rebuked, I want you to give me the truth of God's word. That's the thing that will bring me out of sin. Right? And so when Jesus says, don't give what is holy, don't give these pearls, what's he talking? He's talking about the word of God. Right? Now, you're like, ah, I need some more evidence. Yes, you do. I'm glad you asked, okay? Because later in the book of Matthew, just a few chapters later, in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus describes the kingdom of heaven like this, the word of the kingdom of heaven. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure, is verse 44, hidden in a field which a man found and covered up, and his joy goes and sells all that he has to buy the field. And then he says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. Do you see that? A merchant search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great price went and sold all that he had and bought it. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like that. It is like a guy looking for pearls. So, so, so the word of the king, the word of the kingdom of heaven, the reign and rule of Jesus Christ in our lives, that is the pearl, okay? And so, so what's holy, what's pearls? It is, it is the word of God, the word of the gospel, the word of Jesus, the word of the kingdom of heaven. And by the way, that word is the exact thing that is needed when, when we're in the wrong, when we need corrected, when we, when we need rebuked, when we need exhorted. 
How do I know that? Well, the Bible says that. 2 Timothy 3.16. Listen, listen to what it says about the Word of God. All Scripture, okay, all the Word of God is breathed out by God, and it's profitable for teaching, for, listen, reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. All right? So the Bible says of itself, the Bible is perfectly suited for sinners. The Word of God is perfectly suited for when we need correction, when we need training, when we need reproved, when, when we need convicted. The Word of God is perfectly suited for that. It is a powerful force to bring spiritual life. Okay? So that's what is holy, and that's what is pearls. Now, who are the dogs and the pigs? Okay, what do they represent? Well, in the parable, they represent creatures who do not value priceless things. All right? That's what dogs and pigs represent. Now, many of you, when you think of dogs, you think of that little special Fido in your house that you have the little vest for and the little booties and the, the gold chain around their neck. I do not understand you. I love you, but, I, you know, you're strange to me, okay? But a lot of you think of that. You know, you just took them to Pampered Paws and got the dog spa and all that. That's wonderful, I guess. You know, it is. Um, but I don't think that's who Jesus meant when he talks about dogs and pigs. If you've ever been to a third world country, how many of you been to a third world? Anywhere in the third world, really. Guatemala, anywhere in Central America, India. Man, I was just there. Okay, that's what Jesus meant by dogs, right? Dogs are, in all those third world countries, they are scavengers, right? They're roaming packs of scavengers, all right? And he says, you don't give priceless things to roaming packs of scavengers and to pigs, right? You know why? They don't value them. They don't value them, right? And so, so maybe you've got this, this ring of your grandmother's that, that is priceless to you and it's been in your, in your family for generations and it's got a big diamond in it. Okay, if you want to keep that safe, the thing you don't do is go out to the pig pen, you know, get the big sow, get, get, a, get a chain, put it around her neck and say, all right, now you keep this, all right? You, you keep this sow. You, you keep, no, you don't do that. You don't do that. The sow will not value the thing that is priceless, all right? Now, if you want to give her some, some corn husk or some, uh, you know, some slop or whatever, that's great. Love that, right? But, but if you give her a bag full of $100,000, it will be trampled in the mud, all right? So Jesus is painting this picture of not giving priceless things to those who are not ready to value them, okay? So Who's he talking about? He's talking about people who are hardened to the word of God. People who persistently reject and trample God's word. All right, now, the Bible talks about these in other places. In fact, the entire chapter of 2 Peter, we don't have time to look at it, but the entire chapter of 2 Peter is about false teachers. It's about people who claim to, to be spiritual, but they aren't really spiritual. And, and so Peter talks about how, how they make some progress. It looks like they're making some progress, and they go right back into sin. And he ends that chapter uh, again, I wish we had time to read it all, but we don't. He ends the chapter in verse 22 by saying, the true proverb says what has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit and the sow after washing herself returns to wall in the mire. They, they're not changed. They're not transformed. They, they don't value spiritual things. So it's in that kind of picture that Jesus is speaking. Another very helpful thing is the parable of the soils, okay? In the parable of the soils, what Jesus describes is that not everybody's heart is in the same place in regards to the word of God. Okay, and you remember he describes different kinds of soil. He talks about the sower, the guy who's planting the seed, and he's going out and sowing, but some of that seed falls on, remember the highway, the hard-packed ground. And you know what happens? Nothing, right? It doesn't penetrate the heart. And he actually describes how, how Satan comes and steals the seed away. 
And then he describes how, how some of the seed falls on the shallow, rocky soil, just, just, just a little bit of soil uh, above a rock. And, and he says, it might spring up immediately. There might be an immediate response to the word of God, but there's no root. And so it actually never bears fruit. It can't ever grow. It can't ever, it can't ever be transformed into fruitfulness, but rather it withers away as soon as the sun comes out. And then he describes another kind of soil that's weedy, right? It's entangled with the cares of this life and, and, the, and the worries of this world and, and the lust for riches. And he said, when the word of God gets in there and that stuff's not cleaned out, it chokes it out. And, it, and again, it cannot bear fruit. But then he describes a kind of soil that is ready for the seed. It's been plowed, it's been tilled, and, it, and it's ready to receive the seed. And when the seed hits that soil, it explodes with new life, and it bears great fruit, all right? What's he describing? Different kinds of hearts, all right? So, so Jesus is describing, okay, so, so, so think about the first five verses. The first five verses lead us to say, all right, once you've dealt with your own sin, now, now you're, you're able to help other people with theirs, and how do you help them with the word of God? But you should be discerning in how you give that word. All right? Do you see what I'm saying? You should be discerning about people and how you give the word of God. Now, a couple don'ts here, all right? So, so this passage is so misunderstood. Are, are, you, are you sufficiently confused already? I hope not, right? Everybody, kind of give me some kind of affirmation. We're okay still, right? Okay? All right, good. All right, so here's some don'ts. Here, here's, Jesus is not saying don't share the gospel with unbelievers. I've heard people use this verse to say, well, man, that person is such a big sinner, I'm not going to cast my pearls before swine. That is not what it's saying. You know, I know that's not what it's saying. Jesus, most of his ministry was with who? Tax gatherers and prostitutes. You see, just because you're steeped in sin does not mean you're ready for the gospel. Man, there was a time in my life I was steeped in sin, but I was hungry for the gospel. I was desperate for something else. And so, so just because you're, you're a big sinner, if you want to put it that way, we're all big sinners, but you know, just because you, you appear to be a big sinner doesn't mean your heart is not open and ready for the gospel. Number two, it, it, Jesus is not saying here that, that, that we shouldn't, shouldn't share with somebody multiple times. I've heard people say, well, you know, I shared the gospel and they weren't interested, so I'm not going to cast my pearls before swine. Hold on. Man, how many of us our story is that somebody sowed the seed of the gospel for years in us, right? See, just because you, you didn't respond immediately doesn't mean that your heart is closed to the gospel. I was thinking about this person that I share with probably, I bet I get a chance three times a month, probably at least, to share with them. And I've been doing so for three to five years. But they are not closed to the gospel. Um, in fact, usually the last thing we talked about, they bring it up the next time I see them. They're like, well, you know, I thought about what you said. What do you think about this, you know? And, and they're not attacking. They're not mocking. In fact, they're, they're incredibly respectful, actually, in, in their conversation about it. And, I, and I, believe, I believe they're coming around. That's what I'm praying for. So, so it doesn't mean don't share the gospel with unbelievers. It doesn't mean don't share the gospel more than once. Man, I, I don't know that many of you are here, but I got to say this. It absolutely doesn't mean that we should change the gospel when there's resistance. A lot of people are like, man, I share the gospel with these people and they were totally you know, offended by it and, 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 and were really angry. And so I think we need to tone it down. No, you don't need to tone it down. You don't need to change the gospel. All right, so Jesus is not saying any of those things 
What is he saying? All right? So let me tell you what he is saying. Number one, the first thing he's saying, we, we, we got to start here, is, church, you got pearls that you need to be given away. I, I read a guy this week that said, I'm not ever going to preach that passage in my church because I don't have people that are giving away pearls. <laughs> he said, they, they, don't, they don't need to learn to be discerning about where they give them away. They're not giving them away. Now, you'll notice I am preaching this passage. You know why? Because I know you guys share the gospel. I know many of you share the gospel. But I don't know that all of you do. And so I think we need to start here. We need to start with, if you've been given this gift of life in Jesus Christ, if God has called you to himself and pulled your feet out of the fires of hell and put his spirit inside of you and you're an adopted child of God, if that is your story this morning, my friends, you have something infinitely valuable. You have the pearl of the kingdom of God that's worth giving everything for and you need to be giving that away. Give it away. Share it. You need to be sharing truth with your brothers and sisters in Christ, and you need to be sharing the gospel with the world. So that's point number two, point number one. Point number two is you have this pearl, but you need to be discerning about people so as to maximize your pearl and your opportunity. All right? What would you say if I told you that there are times, there are times where it's appropriate not to say anything. It almost seems wrong for me to say that, isn't it? But our Lord did that. Let me, let me show you a couple examples, okay? Matthew 21, verse 23. This, these are two examples of Jesus being discerning about who he's, he's, he's talking to, okay? In, ver, in verse, chapter 21, 23, he says, And when he entered the temple... The chief priests and the elders and the people came to him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority? Now, first of all, that's a great question, all right? That is a spiritual question, isn't it? So, so they're watching Jesus' ministry and they come and they say, hey, Jesus, by what authority do you do these things? All right, now, now listen to what Jesus does. Jesus answered them and said, I'm going to ask you a question, and if you tell me the answer, then I'll also tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, here's this question to them. The baptism of John, where did it come from? From heaven or from man? Well, they, they go off and they huddle, okay? They go off and they, all right, guys, what are we going to say? They go off and they huddle, and here's, here's what they say. They discussed it among themselves, and they said, if we say from heaven, then he'll say, why didn't, you, why didn't you believe him? But if we say from man, then we're afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. And so they answered Jesus, we don't know. We don't know. All right, now, now what, what do we know about these people so far? Number one, we know they're not interested in truth, are they? When Jesus asked him a really spiritual good question, the baptism of John, was that from heaven or man? They don't ask themselves, all right, what's true? You know what they ask themselves? All right, if we say this, what will those people say about us? If we say this, what will those people? They're not interested in truth. Which tips Jesus off that the question they're answering him is not because they want to know truth. It's because they want to trap him, right? So you know what he says? He says, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Basically, Jesus says, we're done talking here. We're done talking. Was it because Jesus didn't have the answer? No, he had the answer. But, but he's, he, understood, he discerns their heart. One more example, Luke 23. This is a really sad one to me. You may have heard stories about Herod, right, in the Bible. There's actually several Herods in the Bible. Pretty wicked guy, did some really bad things. 
Okay, at the end of Jesus' life, while he's being tried, the night before his crucifixion, Jesus gets to Jesus appears before Herod. Herod gets to see and meet Jesus. All right, here's what happens. Verse 7. When he learned that he belonged to Herod, this is Pilate, when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at the time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him, because he had heard about him, and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. So he questioned him at some length, but he made no answer. And if you read the rest of the passage, that's all it says. Jesus won't talk to Herod. Why? Is it it because he didn't know truth? Man, Jesus is truth. Jesus had all truth about God the Father, all truth about the story of God, all truth about the glorious deeds of God, about the depravity of man, about relationships, about marriage and parenting and enemies and friends and forgiveness and redemption and sanctification and glory to come. Jesus has all truth, but he discerns about Herod that Herod is not interested in truth. We get a little clue there in Luke 23. What is Herod interested in? A circus show. He's open to see a miracle. Not so he can confirm the word of God, but, but it's something to entertain him. And Jesus, Jesus won't play that. My friends, Jesus is telling us when he says, don't give dogs what is holy and don't throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. Jesus is is communicating to us that we have this pearl of the gospel, this pearl of biblical truth, and we should be discerning by the power of the Holy Spirit how and when it is given, okay? Paul said in 1 Corinthians 16, 9, he said, I'm going to stay in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door for effective work has opened to me and there are many adversaries. Now, what did Paul mean by that? A wide door of effective work has opened for me. What Paul meant by that was there are people here that God has prepared and are ready to respond to the gospel. And so I'm going to stay here as long as it takes and I'm going to stay here even though I've got lots of enemies here, even though I'm being attacked here, I am not leaving. Why? Because there's an open door for the word. This was something that Paul prayed all the time. In Colossians chapter 4, he asked the church at Colossae to pray this for him. This should be one of your prayers. I'll tell you a story here in a minute. This is one of my prayers this week. I'll tell you about that in just a second. But, but Paul says in Colossians 4 too, he says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word that God would open a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison, that I may make it clear how I ought to speak. He's talking about with, with lost people. How do I know that? Next verse. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so you know how to answer each person. Paul, this is the guy that wrote the book of Romans. There is nobody in the history of Christianity that was more articulate about the gospel or about the word of God than Paul. And yet, you know what he says? He says, guys, pray for me that a door would be open for the word. You see, a lot of times we think, man, I, I don't need, I, I got the gospel, I'm just gonna go pound it into people. You need the Holy Spirit to open hearts, to prepare them. Paul prayed for that. Pray that God would open a door for the word so I would know how to speak. So that my, my speech would be seasoned with salt. We learned this in, in North Africa uh, in January. 
man, it was never more apparent to me how much I needed God to open a door for the word. I mean, we're in an Islamic police state. You can't just set up a box and start preaching on the corner. That doesn't work, not for very long. You know what we needed? We, we needed God to bring us that person that he'd been preparing. We needed God to cross our paths in some shop or some tea place or, 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 or some street corner. And we needed God to, to bring us that guy that, that his heart was open and ready. And we need that here. My little boy, he loves turtles. Several of you have given him turtles. I hope you don't give him a turtle that is special to you because that turtle is going to be tortured, all right? <laughs> but he loves them. He loves, fro- he loves frogs, turtles, all that stuff. But he loves turtles more than anything, I think, because they're slower. And, and what he really likes to do, and he's got a good heart about this, I think. He loves to feed them. Okay, now we have tried and tried and tried to convince him. Just, just put the lettuce, just put, the, put whatever we're feeding the thing, just put it in the cage, let the turtle in there, watch the turtle eat. That's not what he wants to do. He, he wants to grab the turtle and he wants to feed it, right? And, and you, know what that, you know what that ends up looking like is the turtle is grasp, gasping for air and every time his mouth opens, he's jamming the stuff down there, right? Like he's... Feed and feed and feed, right? Now, you can guess how this ends, can't you? He gets bit, right? Every time he gets bit. Some of you have the exact same strategy with the gospel, right? Like you got, you got somebody at work and they're lost and their life is all messed up and they're living in sin and what do you do? You can't wait to jam the scripture down their throat every day, right? How does that work? You, you get bit, don't you? You know, you know why? Because that's not effective. You know, when, when Jesus is describing here, hey, deal with your own sin, then, then you're ready to help the, the guy get the, the speck out of his own eye. Okay, but, but you have to discern, is somebody ready for the word of God? You know, in the context of helping people out of their sin, even among believers, here's, here's the reality. That person has to be ready and willing for that. You know what Proverbs says about that? About correcting somebody? It says in Proverbs 9, 7, Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. And he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer. He'll hate you. Reprove a wise man and he'll love you. You see, there's two types of people in that. There's a type of person that says, Man, I don't want to be in sin. Like that, that's one of the deepest desires of my heart is not to be in sin. And so if I'm in sin and you come and correct me, I'm thankful for you. Man, praise God that you love me enough to come gently speak truth into my life and help me be more like Jesus. That's one type of person. The other type of person is the type of person that says, how dare you say anything about my life? By I know you, you know, I, I know what your life is, but you do twice that, you know, right? That guy's not ready, Right? And don't be jamming lettuce down his throat, okay? Because that's not wise. The same is true with the gospel. The same is true with the gospel. Be discerning with the gospel, okay? Now, I'm not saying stop sharing pearls. Have we all established that? Share it, share it, share it. But also be discerning about the hearts of people. I think one of the best ways to do that is probing questions. I, I love to ask probing questions and just see where the conversation goes. You know, I'll just, I'll just throw out just kind of 
questions, and I'll, and I'll see the response that comes back, and I'll either hit the gas or I'll, I'll step back and wait. Why? Because if, if, if the door is closed, I, I'm not, I'm not going to throw the pearl out there. I'm going to wait till the Spirit opens the door. Now, some of you are going to ask the question, man, pastor, what do you do, though, if you've been sharing and, and like they are closed, like they are resistant, they are hardened to the gospel? What do you do? You do exactly what Jesus did. In Luke chapter 19, Jesus is overlooking Jerusalem. It's toward the end of his ministry. He says in verse 41, when he drew near and saw the city, you see, he wept over it. Saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. You see, when Jesus encountered a city that was close to the gospel, you know what he did? He wept. I would say you should do the same thing. For those people in your life that are hardened to the gospel, you should weep over them, you should wait, you should watch, and you should pray. You should weep, wait, watch, and pray. Why? You're you're weeping over them, you're broken over their hardness to the gospel. You're waiting for that opportunity for the door to open, right? You're watching, you're watching for it, and you are praying that God would soften their hearts ready for the gospel. So you haven't given up on them. You, you've, not, you've not just said, okay, I'm done with you. you. You are weeping, waiting, watching, and praying. And then the most important thing that I want you to do is you're going to move on. Okay? Now, now, move on does not mean you don't weep, wait, watch, and pray for that person. But what it means is you are looking for who God is working in. All right? This is very important. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus sends out the disciples, all right? He sends them out, and they're going to go across, across the villages of, 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 the, of the region, and they're going to be sharing the, the good news of Jesus, what they've been taught, okay? Jesus gives them very specific instructions. What happens when you meet resistance? What do you do? Do you, do you grab them, jam the lettuce, you know, keep, keep, no, no, here's what he says. He says, if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. You shake off the dust and you go to the next place. They were, they were to move on. They were to move on. You, you know what I find a lot of Christians have done? I, I know this is true because I ask this question in all my discipleship groups. A lot of Christians, when I ask them, hey, is there anybody you're sharing with? They're like, well... I share with, you know, this guy at work and this guy in my family and this guy in my neighborhood. And then I ask him two months later, well, I share with this guy at my work, this guy, you know. And I'm like, well, how's it going? Well, it's the same. They, they, they don't want to hear it anymore. Okay, but there are people that do. Do you, do you see that? Like our strategy has got to be that. Those that are close to the gospel, we are weeping, waiting, watching and praying. But we're moving on. We are looking For those that God has prepared. My friends, God has good soil out there. Do you see that? He's got good soil. But we we got to broaden our scope. We got to stretch out our nets. And we got to look for those people. We have a limited opportunity and time and resources. And we need to look for those that God is working in. Because they are there. 
They're there. This week I took off for uh, sealing. I was meeting Pastor Galen there. Uh, we were talking about some mission stuff. And I got about halfway in between here and sealing, maybe not quite halfway. And there's a lady in the ditch um, just walking kind of aimlessly. And so hit, hitchhikers tend to be one of my prime witnessing opportunities. I, I, I've had some fun stuff with them, so pulled over. You know, I've already been criticized for this because it's a lady. I know I try to be appropriate, but like, like I'm literally running through what's the right thing to do. You know, speed pastor, you know, see ya, you know. I pulled over, whatever, whatever you think. Anyway, I did it. I felt like I was supposed to. I pulled over. So, ma'am, do you need a ride? I don't know. Which I thought was an interesting answer. I don't know. I'm actually talking on the phone with another guy. I say, hey, I'm about to pick up this lady, you know, so I'm talking to him. And I was like, well, I, I'm going to ceiling. You're welcome to get in if you want. She looks at the van. It's got Lincoln Avenue Baptist Church on the side. That's probably comforting. She's like, yes, would you take me to ceiling? So she gets in. I said, uh, get off the phone. We take off. I'm like, well, so what's going on? You know, I said, are you, are you stranded? Car somewhere? And she doesn't really want to talk about it. I said, okay. Right? Not, I'm not lettucing. <laughs> right? That's fine. Take off. I'm driving about three, four miles, not very far. Boom, I blow a tire on the church van. I know this is the third tire on the third vehicle in the last month for me, okay? Anyway, pull over. Get in the back. It took me a long time to find that little cranky deal that pulls out. You know, every car is different. I finally found it, you know, got the spare out. I'm changing the tire, got the jack, change the tire. She's just watching me. She's like, stand by the car, just watching me. You know, change the tire, da, da, da. I try to make a little small talk. Finally, as I'm, I'm tightening up the, the lug nuts, she actually kind of loosens up and starts talking to me. She'd been driving with her boyfriend. Uh, they'd gotten in a fight. He took her phone, kicked her out. He's gone. She's from Texas. Kind of find out a few details about, about her. And so we, we go on a little further. Um, again, I'm not lettucing, right? You know, I can tell she, she's hurt. She needs some time. I'm, I'm really sorry about that. We go about five, seven, eight, ten more miles. And, and I said, about how old are you? And, and she told me, and I said, you know what? I got two girls about your age. And I told them about my girls. And I said, I said you know, I always tell them, here's the kind of guy you need to look for. And I kind of told her kind of what I tell my girls about the kind of guy that I want you to marry someday. And I said, you know what I, I what's not in that description? I said, what the, what's not in that description is the guy that dumps you out on the side of the road. And I said, you know, that's, that's not love. And she's quiet for a little while longer. We're pulling into Gores. We're turning the corner to pull into Gores where I'm going to drop her off. And we tried to get hold of some of her family on my phone. I'm pulling in there and she opens up. She tells me about how her life, about the people that have abused her, about the struggle she's had. And she says this, because I told her before, that's not love. She says, how do I even know what love is? You see what that is? There's my door, right? Like if you can't hit that, then I don't know. What you're, like that's on the T. That's not a fast pitch, right? How do I even know what love is? Ma'am, let me tell you. God has loved you. You know how I know he's loved you? Because he sent his own son to be butchered on a cross, to rise from the dead, 
so that he could join you to him in faith so that you could be forgiven of every sin you've ever done. You could be brought into his family and adopted as his child and an heir with his son and you would live forever in a place called heaven where God in Ephesians 2, 7 says he is gonna lavish his riches upon you in grace and kindness. That's how you know what love is. There are people out there like that. Okay? They're out there. Tuesday morning, I was reading Colossians 4 with Nathan and Casey at 6 a.m. My application was, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask God to open a door for the word. That happened around Tuesday at 11. There are people there that need to hear the gospel, right? And we are to be discerning. We're to be the kind of people that discerns. Okay, my, my door's shut here, right? So evangelism is not trying to jam lettuce down this turtle's neck. I'm a child of the king and I'm listening to the spirit and I'm asking him to lead me. Lead me to that person who's open to the gospel and I'll be faithful to give them the pearl of great price. That's our mission, church. Let's, let's, let's be discerning. Let's do that. Father in heaven, I thank you for the great gospel. I thank you that we know it, God, that, that those, many of those in this room know the beauty of the gospel. And Father, I pray that you would press it upon us to be those that give that away. Those that joyfully and willingly share the greatest truths in the universe with those who are ready to listen. God, give us discernment in knowing who's ready, who's open, who's, who's, who's wrestling, who you've set aside for us to bring this truth. God, help us to be looking, to be waiting, watching, praying, weeping for those that that are hardened to the gospel. God, we pray that you change their hearts. And God, I pray for these here today. God, I just, I got a feeling there may be some here today who have not put their faith in you. They've not turned from sin. They've not been joined to you. They, they don't know the love that we're talking about. God, I pray that you would draw them today. God, draw them to repent. Draw them to put their faith in you. God, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.